Hello everybody, and tonight on Speculate we are going to do some additional world building for our Court of Blades game, Valorward. So uh, Brandon O'Brien is joining me. I am Michael R. Underwood, if you are listening and uh, don't already know my voice, which is totally fine, because maybe you're new. We are going to be building on what we did in our session of Ex Novo from a couple of weeks ago, and talk about our uh, our island of Valor Island and our city, Valorward, um, to build a little bit more toward what the, what the setting will, will look and feel like when we are playing in it, rather than just the the kind of the building blocks that we put down for, for Ex Novo. So that is that. Brandon, what I want to talk about first is in this fantasy setting where we can make the buildings the way that we want them to be, what is a kindness that we could do for our fantasy Caribbean inhabitants in terms <laughs> of like architecture or something? Oh, wow. A kindness is quite a way to put that. I was actually thinking about architecture a lot because of all of the things that we have framed already. A lot of Trinidadian architecture as it presently stands, well, classic Trinidadian architecture, is a kind of combination of multiple settler sources, obviously. Like, we have architectural notes from historical Europe alongside, like, the recent kind of motivated uh, architectural notes that presently exist. Like, at some point in the what i want to say like 1950s to 60s we got really into brutalism and that's why our universities look like giant stone blocks um but like in particular the thing that i think i'm interested in is what architectural influences would have therefore been borrowed from the settlers that have now come to Val isle which means you need to actually ask the question of what did it look like where they came from? And in particular, how those things may potentially clash with the ruins of the society that presently existed. Because I'm sure a lot of people would obviously also be motivated by the idea that the history of this place also looked cool. We have no idea what it was, but we can attempt to recreate it or beautify it and what those things may look like in combination. Right, because we, we talked about there being a previous civilization that they, to the best of our knowledge are the ones who carved out the paths between those three caves and that they maybe did something with the river or the underground river. They maybe have some, like, maybe they have some uh, role that they played in go uh, contributing to the fact that this island is just, like, verdant as hell, where, like, there's abundant plant life. You know, we had the queen apples, we had the plentifruit, we had the lens caps, uh, we talked a lot about the agriculture of Valor Isle, and we have mm -hmm. the kind of wild forests on the mountains that's kind of uh, supernatural. We have the, like, incredible abundant earth magic. Um, so there are, like, a bunch of factors. I don't know that we established that there were specific ruins, like, from that civilization. I don't see why we shouldn't have them, because that could be cool. Mm -hmm. Like, do we want to have, like, catacombs are there, is there like stuff in the tunnels that we didn't really establish, but we can establish now? Or like, is there a district that is the old city where a lot of the architecture has been preserved? Mm -hmm. So like, there are two things that I think I'm particularly intrigued by. I do like the idea of an old city, obviously. I like the idea that, uh, especially given exactly how volatile Vala Isle is as a place, I think it's very interesting to imply that there is a place where 
a lot of the reason why architecture is preserved there is because you don't want to mess with that place, <laughs> which would be potentially interesting because it would give us a kind of image of what historical architecture would look like untouched. But I also like the idea of settlers coming to a place, seeing relatively pristine architecture there and going, I like that this is still here because it tells us that someone else was still here. But I want to put all of this shit I like on it. So here's a, a possible wrinkle that would like line up with some of the other world building we've already done. Because the, the earth magic thing was like, there was an earthquake and then that released magic, and then the people of this island, like, kind of earthbending style, raised a whole district out of this mm -hmm. earthbending magic. What do you think about that, either them using that magic to mimic the style of the previous inhabitants, and or that they did so after seeing, like, an underground, like, an underground chunk of city in between or at one of those caves? Oh! Because then we could have, like, old city like old city architecture but it's made by these people um mm -hmm. and there could then be old um something else yeah i think both of i think both of that is very possible i think obviously one of the side effects of discovering magic in the very early days of it it would be that it was so volatile that they would just be doing things to the landscape and discovering that the landscape already exists in certain ways so i think that's a very interesting way of having discovered the old city, that at some point vegetation had just eaten an entire previous district before we had even gotten here. And we went, oh yeah, that's just grass. And then we discovered, oh no, it's not just grass. And maybe something's happening to the grass. Right. Um, Primi was saying on Discord, like, you know, we were talking about what happened to the previous people. And she just said like, volcano problems, all in caps. <laughs> what if they undo, what if they unearth Pompeii? Yeah. Oh God! No, because like, like one of the one of the implications of discovering an old city untouched is that it is a very good window into why people left. But if it happened very recently, then it means that the revelation is so recent that no one has actually put together the actual inferences that confirm this is the reason why this community left or died, etc. You just know that some a calamity did happen. You don't know what the calamity is. You don't know if it still exists. And I think that having that still there and having the people in power go, this is not a place of honor. Just don't go there. We're just going to leave it untouched. Maybe there is gold, and if you want to go and find gold, that's fine. But don't ask or answer any questions about why that happened. We don't care. It would be particularly interesting as a point of conflict, because it means that we can now have conflict with rival retinues about whether this being here is good or bad for us, whether we should or shouldn't learn, whether someone knows or not, and whether knowing is going to change the power structure in this place. So in ways that would be kind of engaging. Would it make sense to have the the kind of uncovered old city be a part of that district that then was all like earthbending, where there's like new stuff in a mix of styles around the the kind of excavated old city? Like there's an earthquake, it either reveals part of this old city because there's like a you know a sinkhole or a landslide or something. Um, or that that releases this magic and then people uh, doing because I uh, I think earlier or maybe today or in the previous session you talked about like 
city like layers and juxtaposition, which I think is a really powerful image. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think on a historical level, two things are possible in terms of how the settler community decides to remake and ultimately, in their perspective, beautify the space. One is, I do think that a lot of people will respond to the apparent garishness, the apparent frightening nature of this old city by going, if we surround it by beautiful things, then no one will have to think about it anymore. And I do think as a result that its surrounding districts will be unnecessarily ostentatious in a way, in a kind of response to that. And I think that those places will borrow a lot of their old classical architecture as a kind of a social buffer against that experience. You don't need to find out what people were doing here before this point. Uh, Let's just remind ourselves of how beautiful we are, how beautiful our culture is. But I do think that some other places further away from that would be like, there is something naturally beautiful about this place, and it can commingle with the things that are naturally beautiful about our old culture. And those communities will uh, will earthbend a kind of combination of both into unique uh, structures. So I guess it would be kind of interesting to kind of discover what are the kinds of motifs that are valuable to both. And I think that it would be interesting actually to imply visually that the old culture of this island was actually doing some remarkable architecture regardless uh, because of their access to the raw magical potential of the uh, island in ways that the settler culture couldn't even do with their own hands. Right. So if you... So I kind of dig, like, old-school brutalism suddenly out of nowhere. Like, what if brutalism from clay... If you had earthbending or something equivalent to make houses or to help you make places for people to live and work in the Caribbean, are there things you think people would do to make their lives easier through the heat, through the storms, through anything like that. <laughs> right. So I think, first and foremost, like the, the, the immediate solution to this problem is houses should have adequate ventilation. Mm-hmm. I think, for the most part, the problem of heat, depending on how close you are to the equator, is a problem that you cannot sufficiently solve without technology. Which is, I mean, not untoward, for the assumptions that we make about the relationship between magic and technology for the game, but I think it would be weird if we put air conditioners in Valorwood. Um So maybe not that. Oh, this... So I have I have a thing, but I want to make sure to give you other... Like, if, if it's okay to kind of keep p- pitching questions at you on this. Mm-hmm. So ventilation, but then... We want ventilation, but also, like, per- safety in kind of intense storms like slash you know storm season is that down to like having chunks that you can like move or like kind of stone like storm storm shutters or like what seems cool there or would they like put up storm blocks like big walls somewhere or something when you put it like that i'm suddenly very intrigued by the idea that there is either in this community's own disaster preparedness response, there are something. There is something that you're supposed to interact with yourself whenever storms occur, or whether the 
landscape just automatically has a thing that happens whenever a, a natural event is supposed to take place, and both of those things really excite me. Mm-hmm. So I do. I I like the idea of like what is the hurricane equivalent of what do you call them again? I think you call them beach breakers or something like that. That there are structures that you put specifically to like interrupt waves so they do not form and i'm kind of intrigued by the idea of like having a natural response that goes oh a hurricane is going to hit us instead of panicking let's just create something with the specific desired purpose of whenever the hurricane hits it it starts like dissipating wind and collapses on itself so I went and found, I just did a quick Google, like, you know, wave right. breakers. So dolos, you can 1000% do this with earth bending, right? Mm-hmm. So like, have these people raised an extra chunk of island or land kind of outside of the harbor area with these to, to break things like, and kind of lessen the impact of major storms in terms of flooding? Yeah. I think something like that would actually be, like, kind of necessary if we're assuming that this territory is as weather volatile as the actual Caribbean is. Mm-hmm. Um, having that kind of access, I think, would be unnecessarily like it would be overwhelmingly helpful for a community that cannot leave again, especially right. if the entire archipelago is already at risk. Yeah. So Premi suggested or said, oh, if the previous people raised this extra land, that's even better for ship based trade. Right. The other islands in the archipelago are more dangerous to land at because they don't have this. Yeah. That is yeah. a great idea, Premi. Also, to that note as well, I think that answers one of the questions of not only does the arch- archipelago become as wealthy and powerful as it does, but how Vala Isle becomes as powerful in the archipelago as it does. Because it means that we're the prime trade location, and most of these other islands are relying on us uh, for their own survival. Yep. Yeah, um, like, do do people, like, come on boats to Valor Isle when when people know that a big storm is coming? Like, do we get temporary, like, refugee fluxes? Yeah. Do th- or do the uh, heads of state of other islands in the archipelago literally ask us to earthbend around them <laughs> in order to prevent storms hitting them w- when we're not in peril? It's like Stuff like that would be kind of interesting because it means that, in a lot of ways, our primary source of economic power is our magic, especially if no one else has any. Because we, we did establish that, like, okay, if this land is really, if it's really verdant, then, you know, we've got kind of a, a breadbasket situation, right? Where there's mm-hmm. all these different products, like, okay, so we've got the sugar, so we can make, you know, we can make spirits, we can do, like, sweeteners and, and things like that. They probably got access to, like, salt for, like, salt treatments, because the ocean is just right there, but we also have fresh water, you know, and we've got the lens caps for grain, but having the magical power and the agricultural power and then potentially still some military power if you've got a civilization where at least initially military veterans were were like the ruling caste then that's that's a lot of spheres of power which is good for court of blades because it lets us divide them up a little bit 
We're like, oh, this house has more connection with the farmers and the landscapes for this thing. This faction has more magic, you know, magic users in their house. We should come up with a name for the earthbending that is not going to get us sued by Nickelodeon. <laughs> this is true. Like, one of the things I was actually thinking about idly, because I like talking about language, and especially, like, we're making our own world, we're making our own rules, obviously for the purposes of making sure that the stream will understand us when we talk about things, we're going to assume that the language just so happens to be English. But I'm always intrigued by the idea that several dialectic experiences are taking place at the exact same time. Like... What was the language that these settlers spoke before they got to Vala Isle? So I was always very intrigued by the idea that the way that they understand magic is informed by their their native language. Um, so I kind of wanted the the term for magic as a concept to be different than whatever the game already insists or whatever our automatic assumptions about fantasy are. Uh, so that's a unique word that we use in the context of the game. Right. And that it applies generally to the thing that we consider earthbending, although we probably have a specific word for that as well. And uh, refers to the energy source that we use for technology, even if that is connected to earthbending, and especially if it isn't, especially if you don't rec if you don't need to actually interact with the earth to use that energy, although that word that term already has its own word as well. Right. Um, so if uh, so, here's an option: if the earth magic is kind of special to this region or maybe to this island, what were the mm -hmm. other types of magic that the the initial settlers of Valor's Reward were familiar with? Because characterizing that may help us reverse engineer to a term. Oh, so do you mean that there were other things than earthbending that were taking place in this place? Yeah, or that magic was known and there were types of magic where these people emigrated from. And Aha. The, the earth magic is a new thing. It's on top of or a new dimension or new manifestation of it. Like in other right. things, you know, it's magic is the weave and you're weaving and they use textile metaphors. You know, craft is really common. One option is like coming up with a guiding metaphor. So there is a thing that I like a lot here. And weirdly enough, this is, this is as a result of me thinking very deeply about the ways that folklore exists in a Caribbean context as a writer. So one of the things that I think I'm intrigued by for these settlers is the idea that they have never known magic before this point. But obviously, everybody has a superstition about a kind of magic because everybody has a superstition about other people having a kind of power over them. Like, that's just in the world zeitgeist. And I think the delineation that I like the most is not necessarily between good magic and bad magic like a lot of other superstitions do, but between creation and destruction and that in a lot of ways very weirdly before getting to Valorwood, before getting to Valor's reward uh, and before discovering this magic their culture considered creation magic to be evil and destruction magic to be good because it was improper to have surplus because what are you going to do with it 
we're on a boat. You can't give us more food. We'll sink and die. And then now they're in a place where they've discovered it's ideal to have a surplus. You're living on an island that had a surplus before you got here. And this is actually ideal and healthy. So I think that there's a word for creation and a word for destruction. And that word for creation is adapted by the word for earth to describe earth magic. And it's either in relation to just the earth itself or to the fact that the island is surrounded by plants because they know that it's connected to the plants. Because this answers the question of why the plants are so weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, just a matter of what those words are, what the sounds are. Right. So we can, so we, we you know, having Valor Eye, Valor, uh, Valor Isle, Valor Word, Court of Blades, Core uses kind of, it uses Italian you know, Friends of the Table, they had Song Fiel, uh, like it was kind of French-ish. I was thinking, and this this is where I will bring it in, because I was thinking about what would the terroir of this island be for wine and how wild that would be because there's so much magic in the land. Mm-hmm. And in the Ex Novo, we talk about that sometimes you just get plants with weird properties. So mm-hmm. if, like the, if, that, if this magic is in the land, then... Like, I don't know that we want to call magic like terroir, but, you know, then, you you know, you get into terror and like, okay, other like other earth languages, words for earth that we then twist a little bit so that it's evocative, but not just a one to one as an option. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I suddenly you, you like while you were saying that, I was like, what? Other than, obviously, French and Spanish, because we always think about the English, French, and Spanish as settlers of the Caribbean, I was like, who else got here? And now I want to know what the Dutch word for Earth is. Prince Justin says in the chat, uh, terroir and magic makes me think of Laura and Gilman's Shatter and Vine verse. Yeah, that was a little bit in in mind as well. Magic wine has definitely shown up in in a number of places, which I think is cool. Hmm, so the Dutch word for Earth is ard. Oh, right. Um, A-R-D? A-A-R-D-E. A-A-R-D-E. So yeah, like that could, you know, we could be, there could be Ardcraft, and then we come up with a word for, for like destruction, which, you know, could be rend, you know, we like kind of spitball on, on something like that. But I was thinking Mm -hmm. if we've got a few different types of magic, or if we want to have like um, a physical incarnation of the earth magic, I was spitballing earlier today and was thinking like, okay, so what if volcanic rock that's porous and has this weird quality where it absorbs sunlight and kind of becomes like a battery, but that power has to be then conveyed again through the transmission of light rather than wires or cables. So you would end up with a lot of mirrors to bounce the power from these vessels to other rooms because the vessels need to be out where the sun can hit them. Ooh, yes. I like this a lot because that implies a lot of things that I really, really like that will be very good for like setting the stage and scenes. I'm giving you this. Please yeah. evoke this in play. The idea of the mirrors and the ideas of, na- and the idea of naturally porous rock implies that every once in a while there are rooms or hallways where based on the time of day you'll just get a random beam of light hitting you directly and i like that framing a lot this use of that technology implies that a lot of the light that is being used in spaces in the dark 
because it is essentially repurposed sunlight will always have the qualities of pure uh, sunlight regardless of the time of day and that as a visual image in buildings will be very intense in ways that i enjoy a lot yeah because if it if everything is like or if if some of this is solar powered then there's also kind of like um there's a day night cycle quality to magic use Mm -hmm. like oh you can do the most magic at like sunset because everything is maximally charged throughout the day or like can you still charge from moonlight because we know and maybe this isn't the, the case in this world that moonlight is sunlight mm-hmm. or is there yeah. a different quality to moonlight because I, what to like keep on building on this i love the idea of like here is a carved like basically d10 of volcanic stone that is fully charged and so it's glowing as if from within with like purple light and then mm-hmm. so you can get like different lighting in different rooms you could have bisexual lighting all over the place you know we can do all sorts of this stuff because if we're if we're doing this you know if we're kind of going to like a final fantasy 6 or like arcane kind of point then like having having strong aesthetic touchstones i think is really important Mm -hmm. Um, and something that i want to do in the next few weeks is like in the world building channel like basically just start throwing a bunch of stuff from pinterest on um in terms of like okay do we want like this type of architecture or do we want to borrow this from somewhere else and how do we feel about mixing this with that does that feel like it's okay does it feel like it draws too intensely from something that we don't want to be like just kind of taking out of its context like kind of working through the visual language of this place so i like the creation destruction dichotomy because it lets us have other magic so we don't necessarily have to come up with all the words but i think ard and then maybe okay do we also let look too dutch for a word for destruction or cutting or rending or like you know dissolving or something that gives us a cool word that we can match with ard because isn't ard also one of the um, the magic, like cantrips that uh, that witchers do. It is. Oh my god, I was trying to remember if that's the wind thingy that that Geralt does in the games that just uh, pushes enemies back. And I'm like, well, if that's wind, what language was that? Right. But yes. So yeah, that's that definitely gets us some cool stuff. I wanted to like talk through a little bit my ideas about so cutting. In Dutch, if this Google thing is to be um, trusted, is Sneedgen, S-N-I-J-D-E-N, which Sneeden, Sneeden, which like may um, maybe we trick a little bit. Sharp is sharp, tart, cutting. Vinig is sharp, nipping, cutting, nippy, keen, shrewd. But like, if we want to keep building this, we can like I can poke a couple people who are Dutch speakers and. Um, maybe get some mm-hmm. better input than just me trying to Google things, right? Um, oh, yeah. So for, for the factions, we ended up with six factions, kind mm-hmm. of organically, which was beautiful. And in the Discord, I said, okay, here's my first attempt at can we line up these six factions with the six factions as written in Court of Blades so that I can just use the mechanics that are already there that Navi and Sean created with their houses from the setting of Ilrien, which would be lovely if we could do, because that's less like homebrewing that I have to do, right? 
and we get to show off the mechanics more directly and less of like we're kind of building a hack like we're already building another setting so we had the Karins, which were the the initial users of the plentifruits the they're the ones who broke off from the vorsters to go and focus on this so the Karins i had as lavelle it is their business to know everything about everyone bouncing off of the idea that they have this like hallucinatory oracular fruit situation mm -hmm. the vorsters then would be batalia noble vigilant and honorable the old house of martial valor kind of most directly representative of the martial culture of this of the original settlers of this round of settlement mm -hmm. the fairests who are the mercenaries would be bastien the champions of the people so like more you know, maybe they didn't have like the old military family connections that the Vorsters did, or that they just kind of maintained an orientation toward the needs of the people in a way that's more direct than the Vorsters or somebody else. Uh, the Circle, which either keeps that name or becomes a house, somebody who's important in the Circle then gives their name to the house, would be Corvetto, mysterious, tyrannical, and feared as the like newer mystery cult of the god slash monster of the lake that maybe works the gray mists who are the the ones that raised the big palace um mm -hmm. would be elanda or erlanda the most powerful merchant family so like okay this is is this a group of people who were not not veterans and did not have that traditional power and so they found different power through trade the ones who either tapped into the earth magic or the ones who you know, if you had uh, previously said, you know, if they had a vineyard next to that, like you could, you could not pay me enough to drink that wine. Absolutely not. I think there will, there probably is wine from there, but that may be like sacramental wine for the circle more than something that gets traded. So Elanda is the most powerful merchant family. And so it's just like money, money talks is their vibe, right? And then the Rontists, who were the failed invaders from another nation, either another nation in this archipelago or somewhere else. They would be House Almari, who are fearsome mercenary princes from across the sea. How does that mm -hmm. line up for you? I think it lines up very perfectly. There was a thing that I was curious about because it would inform a thing, because I admit I have read Court of Blades core cover to cover twice, <laughs> and everything except what my own character creation notes has totally escaped my brain. Okay. My, my head has been very hollow, but... There's a thing that I wanted to make sure of every time I see it in the chat as well that I wanted to verify specifically about the uh, Lavelle. Because being a courtly game, being a high fantasy game, it is fair to assume that obviously some espionage is taking place and the description of Lavelle very much leans into that. I'm very excited by the idea that those who are talented in espionage are also people who are gifted in their own oracular trade as well, because it implies, as a result, that they constantly want not just to know as much as possible, but to always be the only people who do know and will do anything necessary to learn. I'm kind of curious, as a result, whether there are any mechanical implications of that assumption in the game. So I wanted to ask you, as a GM, as somebody who is confidently more aware of the, the game text as I am, whether there are any interactions that would make that particular relationship kind of weird. I would be especially excited to continue 
to develop the reputation for Speculate to be a very like conversational and collaborative world building process where like we we share what we're doing and we talk it through where even when we like are talking through things offline, we kind of return to those because something that I got a lot out of when I was um, doing the writing writer's room for um, Born of the Blade, the series that I did for um, now Realm was that talking things through got us would always get us to a cooler idea than any person's first good idea even like a, a really good first idea then like oh well, what if this bit of texture what if this thing on top of it or here's the implication of that so uh blah, blah, blah. lavelle upgrades so lavelle's resource strength is obviously intelligence so anytime if you if you're working for lavelle and you're trying to go you're doing an engagement role if having good intelligence would give you a direct bonus then you will because that's a house a strength of the house the text in the book says from the twist to the palace, words drift in scores of tongues. Somehow, by guile or magic, they all make their way to the ears of House Lavelle. It is no surprise that many of those are words of admiration for the house. We do not speak ill when they are certainly listening. The house special feature is that you can incite rumors and scandal against a rival house. You take negative status with them, and you hurt their house advance role. So basically, you, you start rumors. The rumors become powerful because they come from you and obviously you're not making things up they like your rumors are sticky but it hurts your reputation with them and in in putting out these rumors you undermine whatever grand uh, grand score grand plans they have other I stuff see. that you get as lavelle you can always get uh, you can get questionable contacts you can always find who has what they need but the price is negotiable when you hire a colleague who's a doctor type they are more their tier is higher you get access to an arcane sanctum. You get free load worth of arcane components, other abilities, illusory disguise, bonus to uncover a plot, bonuses on spirit resist, so like social and magic, mm -hmm. bonus to engagement roles that take place at a party or social event. And yeah, so I feel like yeah. orac oracular secret keepers fits pretty well with that. Mm -hmm. It also kind of leans into that one D two engagement roles that take place at a party or social or social event gives me a little I, I, a very strong Dionysian kind of vibe, yeah. which leans very heavily into the intoxicating oneself to gain information from the universe uh -huh. vibe. I actually dig this a lot. This right, is actually so like, very cool. Do you get like are the the knacks of the Karens uh, just like? the gender neutral version of wine, of like wine aunties where they're constantly yeah, a little much. sloshed so that they can maintain their oracular uh, abilities yeah i love this so much like do you know what's the vibe that i'm literally getting um i've been really enjoying miss marvel lately and mm. the, the characters that i enjoy the most are the characters that the the ladies that uh kamala refers to as the illuminantes mm -hmm. So I'm literally imagining that there is a community of people like the the higher ups in the Corins are literally just old, very fashionable people who regularly go out with like uh, a bottle of Merlot and gossip with their fellows. But you know that if you piss any one of them off, they will just step aside, disappear into a shadow, <laughs> unalive one of your friends, and then reemerge <laughs> like nothing has happened. 
So this also makes me think of some of a like a visual detail I was I was pondering and want to kind of pitch to the group and like make sure everybody's bought in on it. I like the idea maybe of the the juice of the plentifruit being like really strong. They have a, like a really strong staining quality, so that people who are frequent users of plentifruit would just like permanently have that color lipstick just from the fruit. Oh, yes. And that would actually then, be kind of neat. Then there could be, like, colloquial language for someone who is, like, oracular or whatever that is, you know, blank lips, like purple lips. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, because, I mean, obviously, having a stained lip is also valuable as a kind of communication as well. Like, I think very strongly of... One of the greatest things that ever happened in a piece of literature is will always be Jesus kissing Judas, right? And in my head, I feel like now, now that we've established something like that, we're also, we also have the capacity to establish when someone has been given oracular guidance, because you, you can just leave that stain for them elsewhere so everyone knows that you know something. Right. So does that, like, do we then get to almost like the black spot? Where if you have that oracular kiss print on a particular like body part or like kissed onto a pay uh, like a bit of paper or something that that is like oh shit they're marked for death yeah something like that but I'm thinking more in the like more intensely dramatic sense of you reserve a sign like that when the portent is particularly bad okay so this like. It's supposed to be like it when it when this cult when this habit was first formed. It was supposed to say this is particularly important. Please, please attend to it at once. Or this person has very important information. Please see to it that they get where they need to go as soon as possible. But the recipients always read that as oh shit, things are going to go poorly for me. And actually had the, neg- the worst, this, the opposite effect on them where they would never read those things or never attend to those people because they don't want to know what just went poorly for them. Yeah, so, uh, so Primi says, this also makes me think, so much intrigue possible. Cosmetics to hide the stain, cosmetics to fake the stain, lies, double-crossing, fake prophecies, false magic manipulation. Yeah? Mwah! Mwah! I'm feasting. Yeah, I love it a lot. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com. Hi, everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. 
This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.